Good morning. This is our series on spiritual discernment. It's the idea of being able to discern what God is up to in all things in your life. Being able to, to see the work of God, the activity of God, be able to discern what is of God, what is not of God. This week is really a lot about, in, in a way, a simple objective, and that is that you lead yourself well, and you can only do that if you are spiritually discerning. And so part of the thing is to realize that when it comes to spiritual discernment, it's not instantaneous. This preparation, particularly what we're going to call heart preparation, there's also a process And so over the course of these eight weeks together, we want to develop both an understanding of God's preparation of your heart for spiritual discernment and of developing a process where you can really discern what uh, the work of God, uh, the presence of God in all things, even in the most difficult circumstances. And so our devotion today... um, a lot comes from a book by Ruth Haley Barton. Here's what she has to say that I want to start us with. Spiritual discernment presents unique challenges because it requires us to move beyond reliance on human thinking and strategizing to a place of deep listening and response to the Spirit of God within and among us. See, that... That's really what makes a difference between a spiritually discerning person and one who is not. The, who, what are we relying on? You know, this is not to dismiss what human wisdom and strategic thinking have to offer us. Our ability to think things through and apply reason to our decision-making is a gift from God. However, the scriptures are clear that human wisdom and the wisdom of God are not the same thing. Part of becoming more discerning, and this is the process part, is to be able to to separate or distinguish between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. Am I using human wisdom only? Or am I accessing the wisdom of God for my life and my decisions? So if I'm going to get a process, if I'm going to have a practice heart finely tuned to the Word of God, then I've got to have a prepared heart. That's that practice heart is a prepared heart. And part of the preparation is to recognize the wisdom of God is so different from the wisdom of humans or worldly wisdom. Paul makes this clear, and this is what we're going to look at today, is Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is one of the, one of the greatest discussions of the wisdom of God. Listen to what Paul says in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20 goes on, again, pretty harshly. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. 
but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly or foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What what is Paul saying? A lot, right? But here's what he's saying. He's saying we have heart barriers to spiritual discernment. If you take the admonition or or the the description of, of the barriers that he saw in his own people, you could say this, religious people will only believe if they see. That's what it means to demand signs. I, I, I'm not going to believe until you convince me to believe. So they demand a sign. But see, here's the problem. Even if they have a sign, Jesus said, even if someone comes back from the dead, Jesus said, they will not believe. Lisa was doing a study in the Gospel of John in our devotions the last couple of weeks. And what we began to see as she studied it together is, is John in his Gospel is showing every group of people, cultural, religious group of people, individuals have these barriers to believing. One of the most significant contrasts that John makes, and he, he makes numerous contrasts, is the response of the Samaritan people. Here are the disenfranchised. Here are the ones who are disdained by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And yet their response was to believe without a sign. No miracles, No wonders. Jesus just told them what was on their hearts and he offered them what they needed and the entire village turned out and believed in Jesus. First, because of the testimony of the woman at the well. But then when Jesus leaves Samaria and he goes to his hometown, not only do they demand signs, but they don't believe in even when there are signs. And you see Jesus having to, having to leave because of their unbelief. We have barriers, you see, to wisdom. This, this must be acknowledged. Religious barriers, religious people say, I will not believe till I see. But, but Paul goes further. He says there are philosophical responses. That's the Greeks. There's scientific responses. Again, you could say with the scientific response, I have to see it to believe it. But it's a little bit, it's a little bit different than that. It's not that they're looking for a sign. They're looking for things that fit into their worldview. They're looking for things that fit into their framework. For example, I've talked to people with this kind of philosophical view, this kind of Greek view that, that Paul's talking about. And they basically even though you could say there were hundreds of witnesses to Jesus's resurrection, what, what the philosophical person says to me is resurrection is impossible. It doesn't matter how many witnesses there are. You understand, he, Paul is saying there is a foolishness bound up in the heart of every person. This is what Proverbs is saying. This is what Paul is getting at. Notice the foolishness is so bound up in each of our hearts that Paul quotes God as saying, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In other words, 
He has to break down the barriers of our heart so that so that we will cease to think we are wise when we're not. And the discernment of the discerning, he says, I will thwart. In other words, he has to, in a way, oppose so that we can get a realistic view that our discernment is not discerning. I mentioned this Sunday, I just wanted to go over it a little bit again. This uh, developmental psychologist used to be called a a child psychologist, but he was the department at Harvard, it's called developmental psychology, has written numerous articles about uh, temperaments. And again, a temperament is something that's a bit bound to you. See, it's a foolishness that's bound to you from childhood. And he said that we are wired to respond to threats. Now, you know, again, we are not all one. We have a primary setting and then we have secondary settings. But the idea here is many people have what you call a, a flight wiring. In other words, the, the, the anxiety can be easily triggered. And so immediately the response is withdraw from a perceived threat. Some have a, have a fight wiring. Now, in a way, this is a person who can look like a problem solver. They're going to jump into any situation, whether they can solve it or not, whether it's big or it's little. But they're going to aggressively attack any perceived threat. And then he calls it the philosophical person who basically is paralyzed by threats, but will say, no, we just need to calm down. It's not as bad as you think it is. We need to patiently evaluate, get more information to see if this is actually a threat or, you know, if we should do something. Now, there is nothing morally wrong about any of these three. But you will begin to realize that sometimes the worst thing you can do is to escalate conflict. That's the fight. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is to run away. That's the flight. And sometimes the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. And so at the same time, it can be the best thing to escalate. It can be the best thing to run away. And it can be the best thing to do nothing. How do you know the difference? Well, not by your default setting. How do you know the difference? By actually having this which is bound up in you be thwarted. Have this which is bound up in you as your your innate wisdom to be revealed as not being wisdom at all. I think that this is a, a, a this research is incredibly true and accurate in all the prayer and counseling sessions I've had with people. But it's so fascinating how we don't realize that two out of three situations, we are the wrong instinctive response. We have the wrong instinctive response. And what few of us have ever had is any kind of training as children that our response is wrong or that we need to learn and adapt to different responses. You understand, Paul is saying that your innate wisdom is not wise. Your innate discerning is not discernment. It's not enough. And and God will not... You know, God will not simply bless you for doing what you think comes naturally to you. Because it comes naturally, it says, to religious people to demand a sign before they'll believe. It comes naturally to the Greeks to demand that it fit in their philosophy 
before they'll accept it. And that's folly. It's foolishness, Paul says. So, one more aspect of resistance, if you want to know the truth of this, is our own culture. Our own culture keeps uh, us in foolishness. When the culture says, be yourself, follow your heart. Well, the Bible says you're an innate temperament. Your default responses, instinctive reactions will lead you wrong. So here's what Paul says. If you're a child of God, God has promised to thwart your worldly wisdom so that you will want this spiritual discernment. Now, I want to give you some some thoughts on this because you really have to have an expanded framework in your heart beyond your own default settings, beyond your own temperament in order for the wisdom of God to abide with you and to be a response that is readily available to you. Listen to this quote. This is a, uh, an old-time commentator, but it's a credible quote. The wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. See, that's the wisdom of God. Whatever you do innately may have some short-term benefits, but could have some long-term damages. But the wisdom of God will always bring about the best possible results. That's why you switch. That's why you, you make this exchange, his wisdom for your wisdom. He will always have the best possible means to get you to the place of discernment. And it will, it will not just affect you, it will affect the people you care about and love, and even people beyond those that you know. And I love this, this aspect, and it will last for the longest possible time. You know, these are, these are powerful words. I mean, can I just say them to you one more time and have you think through this with me? The wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results. If my heart can accept that, then I can go far. The best possible means he's using to open up my heart to his wisdom for the most possible people for the longest possible times. Now let's think about that in terms of our personal experience. This implies that God's wisdom means that even what we're going through in our life right now, even this pandemic, even the revelation of how unjust our society can be, of how disordered and divided our society is, even our own struggles uh, with sadness and grief and heaviness that's going on because of our circumstances. See, the believer has to have a place. We're not demanding signs and not trying to fit everything into our little framework, but rather to say, God, you are bigger and wiser and you are sovereignly working even in the circumstances that I'm in. Whether it's in what's happening to me personally, in my family, if you're married, he's even working if you're not married, he's working at your work, he's working in your witness of Christ to the world, he's working in your worship, that there's something about what's happening now 
that God is using in the best possible way for the longest possible results for the most people possible. I'm not saying that's an easy thing. You see, this is why he must thwart our own discernment and our own wisdom and our own default settings, even our own temperament, so that we are broken from our 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 our, our slavish attachment to our our old self and our old instinctive responses to circumstances. To believe that God knows exactly what he's doing and he, he knows how to accomplish his purposes for our life. And he's using these circumstances right now that you're going through. And they're not, they're not a mistake. They're not an accident. They're not random. As a matter of fact, if there were a kinder way to make space for his wisdom in your life, if there was a faster way, if there were a more expedient way, then God would be using that. But he's using this way because this is the kindest way. It is the fastest way. It is the most expedient way. How do I know that? Well, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. He does not waste your sorrows. He is not random in your circumstances. So if you really believe that, even though you, again, you're not denying the sadness. You're not denying that your own wisdom is being broken or that you feel vulnerable or that your own discernment is not enough. But wouldn't it give you a a spiritual strengthening in your heart of hearts, like a, a steel bar rising up to support you in your soul, so that instead of being overwhelmed and ready to give up, you're trusting in an all-wise, loving God to bring about the best possible, longest-lasting results for his glory. You see, your life is not in any way God's plan B or plan C. It is always and only God's plan A for you. Now, of course, God absolutely knows the context that you are at higher. We're living in a fallen world. He doesn't suddenly make the world around you a bubble. He is working his plan, his plan A, out in your life, the best possible plan, but in the worst possible world. But everything in your life, and you can count on this, is a part of his wise plan. You see, it takes a lot to break the, the, the foolishness in us that is bound up in us, to reroute even neural pathways and synapses and neural transmitters in our brain to restore what pain and, and, and suffering and loss have done to us. But again, I, I believe what this is calling us to is a, a confidence in God but not a denial of reality. You are truly a spiritually and emotionally healthy person if you're in touch with reality, but not giving in to anxiety and anger and depression. You're standing up to those things. You feel the sadness, but your source of strength is not your circumstances. So how do I, you know, how do I begin to walk in this new wisdom and this new discernment? Well, you have to, I think Paul always goes back to the beginning. He says, remember the wisdom of God in securing your salvation. 
I mean, everything about God's plan to save us was contrary to the wisdom of this world. I mean, you you have a a, a teenage girl through whom salvation is going to come, who will become the mother of Jesus. He, He doesn't grow up as a king's son. He grows up as a carpenter's son. There's not a disciple in Jesus's 12 that anybody would pick except Jesus. But what Paul says, the ultimate foolishness, was the cross itself. In God's wisdom, he said, since the world did not know God through its own wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. You see, in God's infinite wisdom, he chose a way of salvation through Christ that looks insane to us. No one on earth would have come up with a plan that involved the brutal murder of the Son of God in order to save sinners. Yet at precisely this foolish-looking moment, God's wisdom, Paul says, triumphed. God's power is unleashed in what looks like the greatest moment of weakness. Verse 25 tells us, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. You see, we cannot have a heart prepared for spiritual discernment if we do not grasp the wisdom of God in the cross. I mean, even Jesus, didn't he say, you know, you must lose your life to gain it. You must die to live. You must take up your cross and follow me. I mean, these, this is the wisdom of God. Because God's perfect way of achieving the greatest goal, his perfect way was the cross. God chose you, you see. Purchased, he purchased you out of the slavery of sin and redeemed you with his own blood, with his own son. He's called you, and he calls you by name. And he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. But more than that, your salvation is not anything that you have contributed to. It's something that he has totally given to you out of his his radical grace for you and his radical love for you. You see, I make this point because... Our wisdom and our discernment cannot fathom how pain and suffering and injustice and even brutality, betrayals that happen to us, we can't handle it. Even though we know we live in a sin-wrecked world, but like Job, we come to God and we're like, why does this happen to me? If you love me, how, how can you let this happen to me? And yet, like Job, God simply simply points out in the grand scope of things, we know nothing. This is, this is one of the hardest things for people who really want to become wise is to start to realize and recognize. In my own wisdom, I know nothing. In my own discernment. See, some people, what happens is they want to add the wisdom of God to their already existing wisdom. They, <laughs> friends, they don't sing together. Think about what Paul said. I count it all as dung. I count it all as garbage for the sake of knowing Christ. 
I count, he said, he actually said, I count all things lost. And what was he counting? Everything he had worked for to get approval from God. Everything he had worked for to advance in religion. He counted it all as lost. You can't, you can't just say, okay, I've got all my wisdom. Now I'm going to add some God wisdom to my wisdom. No, you have to recognize, like Job, you have to recognize, like the Apostle Paul, my wisdom is a loss. My wisdom is nothing. So, it takes time, man. <laughs> and repeated lessons in humility to bring us to the place where we can rest in his wisdom and trust in his plan. And one of the one of the challenges to really becoming spiritual discernment is it can seem somewhat subjective. And some people would even call it mystical because you're trying to learn to listen to God, not just study the Bible and get the principles, but you're actually trying to have an intimate personal relationship with God where you you sense what he's saying to you. That you you sense his presence. You see what he's up to. You recognize his invitation to join him in what he's doing. There are many people that that struggle with this idea of of it being a part of your inner life. It's just much easier in some way for a lot of people, you know, to try to use human reason to deal with their personal life, decisions of budgets, their finances, their work. It's hard to think in terms of, of this kind of, a, of an intimacy and communication with God. So what we're looking at today and what we're looking at as we go further is that you must prepare your heart to begin to receive the wisdom of God and to realize that his wisdom is different from yours. So let's follow the Apostle Paul's thinking in this passage. So everything starts with the cross. To access discernment, we must tear down the religious paradigm and the worldly education paradigm. Look what Paul says. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. So you could say a stumbling block to the religious and a stumbling block, or he says a folly or foolishness to the Greeks, to the learned. So another way to put this is that the religious look for God's approval for their performance. And they look for God's blessing. So you see, if if they're not receiving blessing, if things aren't going right, then they immediately ask the question, what am I doing wrong? Because God's not blessing me. You see, they, they live for approval. They don't live from approval. They want to have a standing with God on the basis of their performance instead of having a standing with God and confidence in a standing with God because of Christ's performance. Nothing I've ever done gives me a right standing with God. Everything I've ever done gives me a wrong standing with God. I can't be religious and be acceptable to God. But because I have come to God through Christ, I offer the Father, I offer God the judge, his record, not my record. See, that's a stumbling block to people who have invested so much in being good, in being righteous, in being right. That's a stumbling block. But the other problem with this is that all of those sacrifices and actions, and they, they, they actually are all about putting God in their debt. So therefore, they're looking for signs, 
And usually there are signs of blessing, there are signs of promotion, signs of, you know, protection or whatever from God. And then that tells him, I'm good with God and he will destroy my enemies. But here's the problem with that way of looking at things. The cross says that whether you're religious or not, you're so evil that you can't be accepted by God, by your religious activity. The cross says we're all so evil that Christ had to die for us, even the religious. So the religious are just as evil, just as much enemies of God as the irreligious. See, that's devastating to the wisdom of the religious. And then the other thing is that the cross says God owes me nothing. It's just really hard for people to empty their hearts of this belief. God, you owe me something. Look how much I pray. Look at how I go to church. Look at how good I am. You owe me. I mean, most people are looking at their lives and say, God, you owe me a much better life than this. I deserve so much better than this. But the cross says, no. God owes you nothing. No one. No one has God in their debt. But look at, look at what the cross says. Owing us nothing. He freely gave his own son, his precious son. He gave his own life. Paul says, this is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who realize we need to be saved and we can't save ourselves, it says, not only are we being saved, but it is to us the power of God. You see, if you're the worst of sinners or not, the access to the power and wisdom of God for discernment has already been secured for you by, accept the, by your acceptance and receiving Jesus as your Savior. By receiving Jesus as your Savior, all the wisdom of God is now yours for the receiving. In receiving him, I'm made acceptable to the Father. I'm loved as much as Jesus. I'm treated as if I'm as righteous as Jesus. This is how the scripture says, making wise the simple. The cross makes wise the simple. And the truth is, can I, uh, I need to say it really clearly. The only sign, see, this is the issue with many people, is they keep questioning you know, am I acceptable? They keep questioning, am I loved? Am I safe? The cross is the only sign that you need to tell you you're under the blessing and the favor of the Father. The cross alone is the basis of the Father's blessing. I am not working for blessing. I'm working from the place of blessing and favor. No activity good or bad, can make me more or less accepted than Jesus' death on the cross. The wisdom of God, even for the vilest sinner, is waiting for me to access it. Spiritual discernment, Paul is saying, only comes as I exercise faith in Christ. <laughs> I know this is a lot, but see, this is what the heart has to prepare for if you're going to have a process a spiritual discernment, if you're going to lead yourself. These truths have to replace the religious lies, the philosophical lies, the scientific lies, whatever lies are the stumbling block or the foolishness that's bound up in your heart, it all has to be replaced. You have to, 
you have to destroy the altar to the lies and put the truth in the center in order to be wise. And God himself is using the circumstances in your life to destroy the wisdom that's not of him and the discernment that's not of him. But he's doing it in the best possible way for the best possible results, for the most people possible, and for the longest possible time. Would you receive that today? Would you just say with me, Lord, I receive the wisdom that is mine now through Christ. Make this simple person wise in Jesus' name. Amen.